have a Bible or a device that has the Bible on it or in it or whatever other preposition we may need to apply to it, open to Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. If the Bible is new to you, um, it should be easy to find. It's at the very beginning. We're going to consider the the first verses of the Bible itself. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. It shouldn't have been that hard for me to find, but, well, it's the morning, so we're still getting there. Um, I've been fascinated for some time, I realized a few years ago, with first lines of things, in particular first lines of books. Now, it's in no small part to having earned the, the rightful reputation of not finishing books, so I start books and don't finish them regularly. And so the first line sometimes is maybe almost as far as I get. But consider some famous first lines, if you will, this morning. In a hole in the ground there lived a hobbit, not a nasty, dirty, wet hole filled with ends of worms or an oozy smell, nor yet of a dry, bare, sandy hole with nothing in it to sit down on or to or to eat. It was a hobbit hole, and that means comfort. Another familiar to some of us, maybe. Mr. and Mrs. Dursley of number, number four, Privet Drive, were proud to say that they were perfectly normal, thank you very much. Or one of my favorites, one of the greatest of all time, first lines, it is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. Some of you are mouthing that along with me, I notice. Or if you're not so much into books, what about these first famous first words? A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. It is a period of civil war where rebel spaceships striking from a hidden base have won their first victory against the evil galactic empire. We hear, we hear those first lines and we know they're going to take us somewhere, right? When it's done well, we, ant- we know that they're anticipating something, that they're foreshadowing what is to come. They're drawing us in, they're pulling us in and want us to hear more. This morning, we approach what may feel like an arbitrary date on a calendar, however arbitrary it may be, where we quickly, we're quickly approaching the close of 2001 and the beginning of a new year. For some of us, the first days of the new year are times of excitement. We're getting our planners ready. We're tweaking our weekly schedules to include more of some things like reading, exercise, or whatever our lofty goals may be, and less of other things like technology for our families, time alone, etc. We're planning vacations and we're setting goals. And if you've done any of all or all of this before, you know where, where the, where, that where we begin matters. You know that pl- making specific plans, real, having real ex- realistic expectations, having helpful rewards and accountability can all help. Where we begin matters and it sets a tone for what is to come, whether it's in books or movies or in our daily lives. This morning, I want us to go to consider that phrase that where we begin matters by going back to the very beginning itself, the early verses of Genesis chapter 1. Let me read these for us now. Genesis 1, verses verses 1 to 5. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. As we approach these words, let us pray now together. Gracious God, we bring to you our hopes and our dreams for the next year. We bring to you our regrets and our struggles of this past year.
We bring to you the things that we're excited about, that, we're, that we anticipate. We bring the things that we're proud of, that we celebrate from this past year. In all of it, we ask now that through your word, you would send out your light and your truth, that they would lead us and guide us and take us to the place where you are, to that place where you dwell, so that we might behold you, that we might know you, that we might see you, and indeed, that we might be changed. We pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus and by his power and strength. Amen. In high school, for one of, my, one of my English classes, I believe it was my senior year, we read a short story called Metamorphosis by Franz Kafka. It's the story, this may sound strange if you're not familiar with it, it's the story of a man who wakes up one morning only to realize that he's turned into a giant bug. That's where the story begins. In fact, the first line of this, of this story is translated goes like this. As Gregor Samza awoke from unsettling dreams one morning, he found himself transformed in his bed into a monstrous vermin, a gigantic bug, that is. It's a story, apparently, about the absurdity of human existence, about alienation and anxiety in a world where you, you've lost sight of what it means to be human. Now, I tell you this because I had a problem with this story. I missed the first line. In my, my wanting to get through it quickly to get the assignment done, I missed that very first sentence. And I'll be honest with you, I was extremely confused. Because I started reading this story and, try, and tried to make sense of it. I didn't understand why the, why the author would talk about Gregor's legs or his hard shell. I didn't understand what the big deal was when his family ignored him, that he had become a bug. And I was so confused when we had the class discussion. I didn't understand what was going on. And somebody said, John, read the first line again. And I went back and read the first line. And I realized the story begins with him turning into a bug. And that set the tone for everything that followed in this short story. Where we begin matters. With the words of Genesis, when the words of Genesis 1 were written down, some 1,400 years before the birth of Jesus, their audience would have been a gathering of newly freed slaves out of Egypt. They were wanderers. They needed to know who they were. They, they needed to know where they were going. They needed to know how they were going to get there. And they needed confidence that they would get there and arrive in one piece and arrive together, that they would, in, in fact, one day arrive where they were going. And the, the, as the year ends and the new year begins, some of us are asking those kinds of questions. Who am I? Where am I going? How am I going to get there? Do I have any reason for hope? Where we begin matters as we begin the new year. This morning I want us to reflect on where we've been this year and where, where we see ourselves heading by looking at these verses from Genesis chapter 1. The beginning of beginnings, in other words in order to know God, ourselves, his world, his world, and our place more clearly in it. Notice, in fact, as we, as we begin to approach the text itself, where it begins. The first thing that I want you to see together this morning is this, that God created everything out of nothing. Grammatically, you see the first two verses. It's probably set out by a separate paragraph. Verses 1 and 2 stand apart from 3 through 5 and what follows. They're, they're, they sit as the background for the flow of events that begins in verse 3. If you look at verse 3, it says, and God said, and then you jump down to verse 6, it says, and God said, and then verse 9, and so on, and God said. Those and God said refrains are, are setting out a course of events that happened. Verses 1 and 2 set up what happened prior to that. It's the background information, if you will. What we see here is that everything that is, is one of two things. It is creator or it is creation. Notice what he says about God and about what he's created in this world. Again, look at verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
There was only one God and from him came something. He was all that was, there was nothing else. In the beginning, God. The writer doesn't set out to prove that God exists. In fact, nowhere in the scriptures are we, to, are we, made, are we given an argument for this to, to be the case. And one writer said it this way, scripture never makes any attempt to prove the existence of God. It simply presupposes it. Scripture simply says, this is the way that it is, this is the way that it was, and this is what happened. Everything that is came as the result of God's bringing it into existence. And unlike everything else, God simply is. He had no beginning and he will have no end. But notice as we move into, into the second verse, the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. Immediately the author draws our attention to this place where we live, to the earth itself, and it says it was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. You see, this is what it was when everything first came into existence, without form and void, and it was dark. Now, some have argued that what this tells us is this. Some have argued and, and see in this, this text a, a picture of chaos, a picture of uncertainty, a, a picture of violence, and a picture of, be, of being overwhelmed. But what it simply says is this, and, and in fact, what they see in it is reflected in, in other creation narratives from other civilizations. The Babylonian narrative is one of the popular ones, actually. If you're familiar with Jordan Peterson and his writings, you may be familiar with some of this. But some see in this, this a, a God at war against the chaos and battling out to bring order to the chaos because they are enemies. In fact, in the Babylonian myth, there's a God named Marduk, um, and I can't remember at the moment his opponent, but his opponent came out of this violent sea and Marduk had to defeat this other, this opposing force of God. And when he defeated this God, he took its body and cut it into pieces and that's where land came from. Again, God was at war with the chaos. But what we see in, in these first two verses is actually not that. To, to, to understand it as that is to read too much into it. What, we're, what we see simply is this. It is raw, unfinished, unproductive stuff. These words show up in Jeremiah 4, 4 and Isaiah 34 to picture the, the result of God's judgment when the land is laid fallow, when it's desolate. The, the picture is this. The picture is of a place not that is chaotic at war with the one who created it, but that it is simply unfinished. It's unproductive. It is overwhelming. And in fact, if we were around at this point in time, we would be overwhelmed by the movement of the sea and by the darkness. It would be simply too much for us to bear because we are but creatures. This tells us that after creation, the world was waiting for God to continue to act. But notice the, the last part of chapter of verse 2 as is, is well. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. You see, the beauty of what was happening in this moment is this. God is not done with his world. He is present in it and he is present with it by his Spirit. He is not the world. He is not the sun or the rain that we should worship those things. He is separate from it, but he is present. And again, look, notice, notice the way that that's described. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. That word for hovering is going to be translated as fluttering and will show up in, in later on in the story in Deuteronomy chapter 32 where we read this. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that, fl that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions, the Lord alone guided him. No foreign God was with him. God was present, caring for his creation from the beginning. God created all things out of nothing. As the creator, God simply is. As the creation, the world waits. And yet, God is present in the world that he has made. 
Now, as you think about this for a minute, it's tough for us to imagine this, this idea of God creating all things from nothing. Our closest, my, my closest um, reference point to this is playing with Legos on Christmas morning, which I did as a kid and which I wish I would have done yesterday as an adult. And for some reason, our home got through Christmas without a single new Lego being purchased. And so I'm a little sad about that. But you know what that is, right? To spread your, spread your box of Legos on the floor and to build things, to create, to make things out of these little pieces that have been fabricated for you to build from them. And that's, a, that's, an, that's an extrapolation from what we see here, but it's not even, it comes nowhere close to what God actually did, does. Because God makes everything that is out of nothing. He spoke it into existence. He brought it there and he made it. In no way does our creating of anything come close to what it is that God has made. As the creator, God is. And you need to know this morning that you are not him. You are not the creator. I said early on there are two things in this, in this picture that we're given. The creator and everything else. You are very clearly part of the everything else. One theologian said it this way, God is not a process of becoming, but an eternal being. He is without beginning and end, but also knows no earlier and no later. He can neither be subjected to measuring or counting in his duration. God simply is. All things come from him. He is not merely a better version of, who you, who you always, who, of, of you who always does the right things on the, the first time. He is absolute. He is transcendent. He is outside of creation, and we are not. One of the implications of this is simply this. Our world can be overwhelming to us. You don't have to be surprised when the world you live in doesn't make sense, when it seems too big for you, when it seems too much for you. Our world is simply overwhelming because we are not the creator. We are part of the creation. Your circumstances mark out your life. Your circumstances that God has set in your life that he rules over. He has no equal. There's none who would vie for his rule in this world. God simply is. And yet in the midst of this, we, we, we must remember as well that God is present. He has always been present, but now what we see, the flow of the Bible tells us more and more that he made his presence known in Jesus. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, we heard the other night. And we have seen his glory. Beloved, know that as you face the new year, God is in charge and God is very much in present. But he is God and that you are not. Part of what I want you to know is that, that part of your life, or maybe much of your life, won't make sense because it is not yours to control. It is not yours to establish. It is not founded upon your wisdom, your insight, your bank account, your knowledge, your accomplishments. God is, and you are not him. The other main thing I want you to see from this text is simply this. God gave shape to everything that he has made. God created everything out of nothing, and then what we see in verses 3 through 5 is that he gave shape to everything that he has made. You see, what begins to happen in verse 3 and what continues throughout the this first chapter of the book of Genesis is that we get to see God get to work by shaping and forming and filling everything that he has made. I want to draw your attention back to verse 3. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God begins his work simply by speaking. And in speaking, he turns on the light, like we do every time we enter a dark room to see where we're going. He simply says, let there be light, and the light comes on. Immediately following in the first part of verse 4, we read this. And God saw that the light was good. 
God looks at what he does and he gives it value. It is not neutral. It is not, meh, it's okay. You can take it or leave it. He says that it is good. God declares his favor on what he has made. He takes delight in his work. He celebrates that which he has made by calling it good. It's as if God is stand back, stands back from his creation and says, look at that. Just pause and look and think about what I've just done. It's beautiful and it is good. Then in the second part of verse, verse four, we're, we're, what we see is he moves on from there. And it says this, and God, God separated the light from the darkness. You see, God begins to place everything where it belongs, first here by separating the light from the darkness. To say that it is not all the same, to, as if to begin to say here and there are not the same things. Here is here and there is there. The light is light and the darkness is darkness, and they are not the same thing. He begins to place things where they belong. And then notice what, what happens as we continue. In verse five, God called the light day and the darkness he called night. What he's doing is he's giving, he's giving meaning to what he's made. This is the day and this is the night. Now remember, the people receiving these words initially 1,400 years before the birth of Jesus would have known what day is and what night is. You don't have to teach anybody that. Day is, for most of us, is the time when we're awake unless we work the night shift. And night is the time when we sleep because it's dark outside. They would have known this from their own daily experience and yet God names them here. God gives meaning to what he has made. This part is the day, and this part is the night. And then the end of verse five, he simply wraps it up that with, by saying this as he does after each moment of creation. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. What he's, just do, what he's doing is he's describing the end of a work day. As if to say, to picture for us, because this is how we would understand what he's doing. He worked, he created during the day, and then night came, the time for a rest. And then morning marks the, begin, the end of that first day is simply what he's saying. This day ends with a new day dawning. You see what he's doing? God is filling and shaping and forming everything that he has made, and he calls it good. Maybe the best way to get our minds around this is somewhere between designing a home and moving into a home. We live in a transitory, we live in a transitory world right here in Manhattan and on post, where moving is a regular part of life. Packing and unpacking, getting settled and getting unsettled and going on to the next place is a regular part of life for most of us. We're familiar with it. Even if, and even if you find yourself here planted for a, long, for a long period of time, maybe you know the realities of, of surfing on Zillow to look at homes and simply dream about what could be. And you know that when you, when you have a house in mind, you, you look at the rooms and you figure out, this is what I would do with this room. I would place this here and this here. And certain rooms have very clear functions, the restrooms and the kitchens, for example, because of the way that they're laid out. We have strong opinions on what would go where. Sometimes it's obvious and sometimes it's not. This is maybe a small hint of what's going on in, the, in these first verses of Genesis 1, that God has set, has set the world in place is beginning to put things where they belong based on where, he, where his wisdom and guidance would take them. I want us to see a few things in, the, in all of this. I want us to see that God is the one doing this. Know that the darkness doesn't scare him. He is not scared off by what seems overwhelming to us, what seems too big for us. He is the one doing this. The, the darkness doesn't scare him and the light is never too bright for him. God is in charge. He is placing things where he would have it to be placed according to his wisdom. God is acting through his word. His word is powerful, and his word remains powerful still 
because God continues to speak through his word. Because all of it, the New Testament tells us, is breathed out by God. In fact, it is by his word itself that any of us has faith, Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We believe not because we have an idea one morning or because we change our perspective one day, but through hearing the word of God, by that, by that his power speaks into our lives and changes us. It makes us new creations. The created order we also know is good. It is a place of delight. It is a place of revelation. It is a place of celebration. It is a place of life. It is a place of vibrancy. It is to be enjoyed and celebrated. One writer wrote this way, it is a sick world that needs healing, not an evil world that needs destruction. As much as we may struggle with, with aspects of life in this world, in particular as they relate to our physical existence in this world, as much as we may feel limited to who we are and what we can do, the starting point, our beginning place, is not that the body is bad. It is not that the phys our physical existence is evil. It is that it was made and it was made good. That all that was made was declared to be good. It also means that we will know our limitations, doesn't it? That there's a time for work and that there's a time for rest. That there's a time in the light to get things done and that there's a time when, it, when we're hindered from that and we can't. We are creatures living in this world. We are not the creator who rules over this world. You will be limited in what you can accomplish in this life. Some of us may feel like we're more limited than others, but we all know our limitations. You are not God. That's the way we were made. That's the way God would have it to be. We are not God's, but he is. Do you see why where we begin matters? Do you see it? You see, we need to be honest and admit where we, that, where we, that where we so often start from. We need to be honest and admit that we often start from other beginnings, don't we? We look at the world around us and all we see is chaos. All we see is what seems like a godless world ravaging against him. We assume that we should be more in control of our world and often we're left frustrated and despairing and discouraged. And that's all we see. We see God as distant. How could he be near with all these things going on? How could this world even begin to make sense? How could it make sense that there is a God based on what I experience in my daily life? Those are different beginnings from where the scriptures itself begins. It says that God is and that he is at work. Think about the weather we experienced here 10 days ago or so. So we, I think even in this room we had varying experiences of, of the, the wind and the rain and, and everything that happened. But, but we know that this area, the, the wind gusts reached greater than 75 miles an hour. We know that the air was filled with smoke from distant fires and, and such. We know that there were loss of power for hours or more. My family even had this odd experience of sitting in our living room and the power going out and looking directly across the street and seeing our neighbor's lights on. And then looking in the other direction across the other street to the south of us and seeing their lights on and realizing our block was off, but nothing else was. We know this experience of being overwhelmed by our world, don't we? Of, of looking around and thinking, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Why is it not working this way? Why are things not working the way that I want them to be? What will be the case in the coming year? We ask these very honest and legitimate questions. We look at our social, the, the social, economic, and even spiritual impact of the last two years of life living in this country and in this world, and we're frustrated, we're overwhelmed. Your frustrations are real. You're not making them up. The things that you're experiencing, the pain, the hurt, the sickness, the sorrow, the death that you've experienced are not imaginary because God made this world. 
He made it and declared it to be good and declared it to be real. And our experience often falls short of what we want it to be. It's not an accident. It's part of living in a world where you are not God, even though God is. And so what, where does this leave us? Know that to, to know the beginnings of the world are vital to how we, what, what, what follows for us, right? Hebrews chapter 11 says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what, was see, what, what is seen was not made from things that are, out of things that are visible. That it is inherent to be people who believe in God, to believe that it came from somewhere is his message. We were near the, end of book of, near the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation in chapter 4. As the elders are standing around the throne of God worshiping and crying out, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. That it is part of our being in relationship with God to acknowledge his creative power and his rule and his work over all things. But then finally, the Apostle Paul reflects on these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where he says this, For God, who said that light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see, the God who created all things, the God who set you in your place in order as one of his creatures, the God who has been, has been present from the very beginning is at work even this day through his word to shine his light into us that we might know him, that we might be changed, that we might see Jesus. Beloved, as you look back on 20, 2021 and look forward to 2022, know this, God created all of it. He is present in it and with it. He is present with you. And he is continuing to shape our, and fill our lives as he would have it to be made more like his son, Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, much in this world doesn't make sense. Much in this world is frustrating, is scary, is overwhelming to us. And it is not an accident. Your word tells us that it would be such. We ask now, Father, as we continue to worship and then prepare to head from here and face the year ahead, Shine your light into our hearts in a brighter way that we might see you more clearly. That we might see our need for you more clearly and see your provision. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray all of this. Amen.